Captain Picard, priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Am I ready, Roman? Welcome to the Readier Room, not to be confused with the Ready Room. Ours is the only Star Trek The Next Generation Rewatch podcast with actual on-set insights from those who are making the show as it aired. My name is Mitchell Mells, Chief Consultant of Services at Paramount, and with me is my life partner, Brandon Hobbs, Head of Resources Management. Brandon, how are we doing today? Doing very well, Mitch. Very Just well. Just got back from, uh, from taking a nap, taking a little nap. Got myself a glass of the old Synthahol and uh, raring to go. Well, uh, be, uh, make sure you're careful with that stuff. We know about the dangers of the Synthahol. Of course, Mitch. Yeah, we, we're all worried about you, but it'll be okay. So, I'm also doing pretty well. I did not get a chance to take a nap, but I assure you I still have some uh, energy in my reserve energy banks ready to go to get us to the end of this episode. But before we start the episode proper, of course, it's time for our question of the week. And this one comes from a Twitter user uh, by the name of Jean-Luc Riker, who asks, mm. thoughts on fan fiction? Question mark? <laughs> and uh, I assume they mean Star Trek fan fiction, not just fan <laughs> fiction in general. But um, this is a pretty interesting question because many people know this and many people don't know this too, but there's a large number of Star Trek The Next Generation scripts that began their life as fan fiction. Someone just wrote it right. for fun, and they thought, hey, I'll send this in and, uh, you know, see what happens. And sometimes they get like picked uh, up. Like Sherlock. Like Sherlock. Exactly, exactly, exactly. But it's it's kind of a shame because all the episodes that started as fan fiction are almost always ranked among, like, the worst in each season. Like, it kind of makes sense, yeah. right? Um, people making these are fans. They're not writers. They're just hobbyists. Like, if they had the talent to write for us, they would have been hired, right? They apply, they get hired, you see their stuff. Of course. Just, like, our real writers were busy making actually good scripts, and maybe every once in a while there's a hole in the schedule, and it's got to be filled, and, you know, everybody's busy, so we pull something, like some random grease-stained script from the mailroom, and we make it happen, and, you know, everybody on set is always just rolling their eyes at it. Like, you can tell when the actors do the table read. They're like, oh, my God, is this is this another uh, fan uh, submission, another piece of fan fiction? And we're like, yeah, yeah, just go with it. Like, we'll deal with it, whatever. And the mood on set was always the worst because nobody had any passion for what was going on because nobody felt indebted to the writer because it was just some rando that we didn't know. And I, I'm kind of getting carried away here. Um yeah, you are right there, Mitch. Great question, um, Jean-Luc Riker. Thank you for sending it in. Uh, everybody else at home, remember, if you have your own question, be sure to hit us up on Twitter or email us at thereadierroom at gmail.com. And that's with a capital T, a capital R, and another capital R. So, let's uh, get on to our episode proper. And today we're talking about episode 10? 11? 11? 11 called Haven, um, and I have no idea what you thought about this episode, but I, I assume we're going to have something to say about it. 
I, I think we're going to have quite the discussion about this one. Um, I guess in general, I, I kind of enjoyed it. It was ridiculous, but I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, it was somehow consistent, with, you know, within its own terms, and um, maybe not the coolest premise of all time or the greatest resolution, even. But um, we we have a very interesting scene about halfway through that I think we're going to be spending a lot of time discussing. Yeah, we're going to have to dissect that one. But just to give my overall impression as well. I do also feel generally positive about it, but there's a lot of head-scratching moments. There's a lot of <laughs> um, just just strange decisions, and you can almost—it's it's, a—it's an episode that allows you to forget that you're watching Star Trek of all things. <laughs> and that's the thing—the the head scratchers in this episode aren't so much a. Uh... Uh, like a, a a groaning why they're they're kind of just like a they're more inquisitive they're more you know yeah what were we thinking it's <clears throat> kind of thing it's it's the kind of um questionable moment that still allows you to be enjoying yourself it's not it's not like you said those those groaners that really sink the ship that we've seen in previous episodes but yeah in a yeah. way this is more interesting I think because it is yeah <laughs> you have. You have that that uncertainty, those strange elements, but you still also have an overall enjoyable episode, so you kind of have the best of both worlds. Uh, mm. in a way. Oh, there's a reference. There's a reference. Nice. And I think that one I just I think from the very beginning, this this episode has um that strangeness to it. Because it starts what I I believe it starts immediately with the introduction of like that 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 bizarre prop box, right? Well, actually, it it uh, it starts immediately with Riker enjoying. Um, oh yeah, uh, some this kind of hologram of women playing strings. This is unreal, just already. Like, <laughs> it's so weird to me that that's like Riker's form of that's entertainment. He yeah, he right. just sits there and watches a hologram of two smiling women playing harps. And staring hey, at you him. would think you would think it would be maybe a little bit more, you know, risque, right? Uh, or knowing Riker, or not risque at all, one or, or the yeah, other. It's, just, it's a little too in between those two points. Yes, because if you wanted something risque, and you presumably had the the ability to choose from a variety of holograms, you would just go full on and make it like you know nude or some something sex sex oriented. Or if you're just right, interested right. in the music, you probably wouldn't choose just two harpists, like because yeah, it, it's it's a very bizarre form of entertainment, and uh, he seems very miffed that he has to walk away from it. Well, he does address them as ladies as he's leaving. He does. I'll yeah. see you later, ladies. So the question becomes: Are they sentient? Right. And you if know? they are sentient, what what questions does that pose? What what are the implications the, of that? Maybe maybe it's a. Maybe it's a live stream. Maybe he is live. Maybe he paid them in in this uh, this this post currency society. Maybe he paid them with um, clout mm. uh, to to live stream into his room or something. I do. Maybe, maybe they are real people. I do enjoy the idea of Star Trek predicting live streaming and, and yeah, uh, yeah. That, that whole streamer market. Well, well we, we were ahead of our time. We were so. ahead of our time, but. You know, it takes a certain amount of um, just 
genius creativity to not only make something new, but to make something new that reality then emulates. Right, right. In in the most mundane and horrible way possible. Right. So um, what's nice about that oh, scene is that we get more shots of Riker looking almost directly at the camera, which... Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which he does are, his eye thing. Right, he does his eye thing. He uh, does his best to emote when he wants to appear frustrated. Um, tour de force. He tried. <laughs> he tried. He tried. We get we get quite a few eye things because it's all it's uh it's like a tick it's a tick when when uh, when Riker is supposed to be frustrated. Mm. Um, that's that's Frakes's way of of kind of signifying that I guess. Um, and and Riker is very very frustrated through this whole episode, but we'll we'll get to that because I have a lot to talk about there. But um, you mentioned the message box, right? Well, I think uh, there, is there a scene with Troy before that? No, no, no. I I don't believe so because we're we start in the transporter room with Troy. Okay, so so right? Riker's in his room. He gets called to the transporter room where Troy is waiting. Yes, yes, yeah. So and yeah. not and only we, Troy. We but the 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 man with the deepest voice on the Enterprise. I the, didn't even notice that. The guy who mans the uh, the tele the transporter, um, his voice is just very jarring because it sounds like someone deepened it artificially, which I don't believe was huh. the case at at the time. It's just that that actor has just a very very distinctively deep voice, and he's just some <laughs> random extra. Somehow I did not notice this, either on set or rewatching the episode. Well, to say um, it's worth noticing is um, a bit of a stretch. So, <laughs> but we're treated to some some very very um, wonderful acting by Marina Sirtis as the 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 chest materializes into the transporter room, the message box. They, um, they said that a Troy centric episode could never work because of Marina, but I think she proved her naysayers wrong oh definitely definitely it's uh it's beautiful it's beautiful the the, the way she emotes on screen um uh, but the message box it's it's this this silver faced box um it's a human face and it it speaks you know the 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 the, the message to the the addressee um and we were just discussing this uh off mic Ooh, behind the scenes action yeah, we got a little behind the scenes action. Um, just why, you know, why? Yeah, it's it's that kind of thing works a lot better in fantasy um, settings yeah. and shows where you can't just pick up a telephone or um, you know send send a message through space just much more efficiently than a physical box. And the only way to forgive this would be to be like, okay, well, it, they're Betazoids, it's weird. But like you were saying, apparently this was not even sent by the Betazoids. This was just the humans using this strange, out, presumably outdated technology. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure it was the humans. Right. Um, but then again, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Because it... it I think it says... I think it references both families. Well, it's it's a wedding gift, not to put the cart before the horse here, but it's like two families coming together for a wedding. So no matter who sent it, it could presumably reference both of them. Yeah, and, and it would make more sense for the husband's family to send. I mean, why would 
why would Troy's mother send her a gift of a bunch of jewels, right? Right. Doesn't really make much sense. So yeah, presumably the human sent it, um, which just makes zero sense. We've never seen a box like this before. We're never going to see it again. The humans already have tried and true ways of relaying messages to each other through the vastness of space. And it's not via a box with a human face on it. And like, what now, is what is what is the upside of this box? Is that it, is that it can say a message? Well, if it's a <laughs> if it's a physical thing, you could also write a note. You could right or attach a data pad or something, whatever they do. Yeah, and in the, um, in the future, the only reason this is worth um, bullying, I guess, is because visually. It looks so out of place in this show, and it doesn't add anything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it looks it looks hilarious, but a little bit of behind the scenes here. I mean, the message box was, if if I may say so, um, a bit of a, an engineering marvel at the time. I think um, because there there were. I mean, you look at it on screen, and you know, it's it's just this guy's face, kind of superimposed over this box. Um, on set, no fancy camera tricks, no compromises in the construction or anything. It was just literally a box, um, which which could be carried around. Um, that uh, that Armin just he, he had to squeeze himself into. Mm. Um, Armin Armin being you know the famous Klingon, not Klingon, um, Ferengi Ferengi Quark, right from from DS Nine. Um, yeah, before before he was Quark, he was a random Klingon and then a box. No random um, Ferengi. Ferengi, wow. Stop oh, it, man! Stop it! <laughs> I'm sorry. They're both brown. I don't. I don't know. He's orange. Um, are the Ferengi orange? Yeah, they're brownish. No, I mean orange and All brown. Right. I guess are similar hues. They are. They're they're pretty close colors. Okay. Okay. Well, anyway, Armin squeezed himself into this box, and and we just covered his face in silver Krylon paint after. Um, and, and the result was just, it was so convincing. I mean, it literally just, it looked like a, just a box with a face. Um, it was so convincing. We broke for lunch one day and just left them in there. Um, which did unfortunately allow the paint to penetrate his skin. Yeah. Um, it's that old, um, urban legend about the James Bond, uh, movie. What was the name of it? Gold something where that woman was like painted gold and, uh, the paint like suffocated her or something. It wasn't that bad, but. The kind of paint we used in in uh, Hollywood at the time was not really good for you for any length. It was it was heavy duty. Yeah, it was heavy. It was it was home improvement store type stuff. Right. It's like a little bit of lead, uh, a little bit of uh, yeah. asbestos. Yeah. So I I think he was he was probably poisoned for life from that. I mean, eventually we ju- we just had to get the um the the makeup department to come over with a huge bucket of. Uh, nail polish remover just dump it on his face to loosen it up well that's what was good about him playing quark is that the the makeup that we put on him it will not in this series but uh, deep space nine uh it covered the effect that this incident had on his skin so he was still able to yeah. act despite yeah. kind of being a little disfigured yeah and that was uh yeah um that, that that was really his calling was was playing quark i mean his life's calling so you know in well, the end it all worked yeah, so good job to him, and really gave gave his effort for this um, thirty second appearance as a yeah, box. Yeah, yeah, it, it was definitely worth it. So <laughs> in the box, there's a bunch of gifts, jewels, and they ask Troy, Troy, what is this? And she's like, it's a wedding present. 
And they're like, well, who's getting married? And then Troy's like, I am. And then it cuts to the opening credits. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I do want to note before we stray too far from this opening scene um, that Troy mentions that she hasn't seen her mother in a long time. Right. Yes. Right. Um, she was visiting Beta Z last episode. Well, it's possible. That, I mean, that's true. It's possible that she avoided her mother. Given, I mean, I mean, just look at her mother. Look, look at how so. look at how that character is. If I was on the same planet as that woman, I also would try to avoid her. Um, right, right, yeah, I, and you know, it was a mix-up too, uh, as we know, the last episode. So, right. really, probably weren't able to account for that. But it does feel like a little bit of a little bit of a, a plot hole here. Well. Uh, uh, you know as well as I do that a lot of times episodes are shot in one order and aired in another. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly if that happened this time, but it's um, it's the kind of mistake that is very easy to forgive, I think. As right. much as I love right. nitpicking, and believe me, I do. Um, <laughs> I, I just, you know, if they're going to be like, we need a- an excuse, any excuse to writes Troy out of this episode I will uh, accept what the writers give me because I don't think Troy has ever really added so much no definitely not which is why when the conceit of this episode like makes itself known um, um, my reaction is oh no a Troy episode I'm not looking forward to watching this (laughs) yeah there's a little bit of that um so the the, uh, the the wedding parties um, they transport via the transporter into the transporter room. Um, Good description. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and uh, we see uh, the the uh, the groom to be's family, right, and uh, the groom himself, um, all humans. And I want to note that this is the the first. Uh, future Twin Peaks cast member we see this episode. Oh, he's he, this guy's on Twin Peaks? Yeah, yeah, uh, the the return. The return, he's in the return. Okay. Um, I just want to note that uh, you know, anytime there's a dude who's like kind of a romantic interest in Star Trek, mm-hmm. I don't know how we did it, but we always managed to find a guy that gave off like big serial killer energy, like right. a Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer type thing. I was, right? was going to say, I like this guy. I like uh, <laughs> the mood that that he gives off on screen. I don't know. I thought he was like I thought they. I, oh. Oof. I, I think I, he's got he's got yeah. some, some skeletons in his closet. This character. I mean, yeah, I, they do show him kind of um, clinging to drawings of of you know random women and fantasizing it's about fan them. Art. Yeah. yeah, it's fan art. Um, but. I don't know. I thought that for the most part, over the course of this episode, the way that he interacts with Troy, the way that he interacts with Riker, and um, oh, yeah, yeah. J- just his general personality were all handled pretty well. None of it was like, oh, you know, they're going to take away this our, one of the, our main casts, and so the audience should dislike these people, and we're going to make them kind of just dicks. Like, no, you can completely understand why Troy would end up marrying this guy. You know, yeah, and I mean, I don't know. Don't get me wrong. 
I think he was an interesting character. I think he was performed fairly well. Um, it, it's he really just gives off that vibe to me. You just think and that, I, I, that I, he wants to wear Troy's thing. skin. Yeah, I know. Yeah, this is a common thing in TNG. I think we're going to see it again too. I think um, I think a lot of that has to do with um, more traditional and older depictions of romance um, mm. involving kind of creepy vibes and overtones. Right. We are progressive here, folks. By the way, we are we super progressive. We're, we're pros at being aggressive. We're progressive. Yeah. Uh, um, but. So they come in, and what what I thought at first was that Troy catfishes this guy, because um, <laughs> it's it's amazing to me that again again about being progressive on on this show, we were able to have the first instance of somebody appearing to a blind date and saying, "You don't look like your pictures online." I didn't get that from it, but I can see why you would. In this in this brave new world we live in. Oh yeah, I mean, is this is this science fiction or just or just reality? Who knows? I mean, we we predicted so much already. We just, did just within the first ten minutes of this episode. Not even The Simpsons uh, has very little on us in our predictions. Seriously, abilities. seriously. I I do want to just bring up the fact that uh, this this actor. God, I forget his name. Um, I forget the character's name and the actor's name. Wyatt. Um, Wyatt is the character's name. Yeah, Wyatt Earp. Uh, Wyatt, Wyatt's always walking around wearing a sweater with a big cloth triangle pasted on the yeah. front. The best is at one point they he he has another um, maybe like a, a an over sweater or something like a tunic that he puts on, which is like his only wardrobe change in the episode. But you can still see that he's wearing the same sweater underneath of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't know. Uh, what they were thinking. Does the episode um, take place over a day? Over a day, like it, only I, one day? I would think so. I think so. Yeah. And I guess it makes sense, but also Troy is always wearing the same the same outfit, so maybe they're yeah, destined. Yeah. They are destined to be together. Yeah. As long as we're talking about costumes, I want to say midway through <laughs> the episode, Troy gets this, like long hair thing going. Like it's still up, right? But it's long. Yes. And it looks so much better. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about her default hairstyle in the first season. Yeah. Just yeah. how it does not look very good. Um, but this is finally the, the beginnings of experimentation there that um, would ultimately bear more fruit going forward. Yeah, yeah. It was it was nice to see a little shake up there because, God, she was she's looking rough for the past 10 episodes. Well, I mean, the, the her costume itself doesn't help things, where it's like this uh, unitard with an arrow pointing to her crotch. Just no, to, no, I mean, yeah, just, she, just she's, a very, it. she's a very broad-shouldered woman to begin with. She is. She is. Um, but enough about enough about this, this casual sexism. We're progressive here. Let's, let's <laughs> dig into the meat of the episode. We can keep talking about the opening scene for another 20 minutes if you'd like. We could. I mean, we could honestly probably find things to spend time on there. Yeah, I mean, Picard um, was also technically in this scene, and somehow we just never brought him up. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, Picard, uh, 
I don't know. Um, I don't know what you think, but so uh, Troy's mother beams on board. Um, yes. And uh, with with our second Twin Peaks cast member. Oh yes, this this one I can see. I can imagine right. exactly where he was in that. Right. Um. And uh, I don't know about you, but there's I I find. Picard's and and Troy's mother's uh, uh, interactions legitimately funny. Yeah, it's that's the thing about Troy's mom, is that it's she's a very obnoxious character, but she lends herself to genuinely funny situations almost in spite of everything that's happening. Where you're like, yeah. I can't believe I'm enjoying this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like she she throws a wrench into everything, you know, the way all these characters act normally. Um, she she just she forces them to kind of betray themselves, right? Where and really, that Picard is where you see that the most, where he's just kind of yeah, he he has no control of this situation, which is a rarity. And, yeah, um, well, it's it, it's funny because it 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 kind of speaks to his character in a positive way too, where it's like he's. Before he's a captain, he's like a gentleman, you know what I mean? Right, and he never gives that up, because no matter how annoying and rude Troy's mother is to him, um, he just keeps it bottled down. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. at one point, he's like he brings her luggage to her room, and as he's leaving, she's like, oh, um, yeah, you can go, <laughs> or some, something like that, just something flip, flippant. And Picard just has <laughs> yeah. this, like grimace of a smile plastered on his face just trying not to say anything right yeah but you're right because, because to make a scene would just be unseemly for him exactly and um yeah that's a good point it does it does uh show a positive side of of him in dealing with this uh this absurdity which um i parts of uh the next generation so far ha i think would qualify as absurd but Never in a way like this, I don't think. Um, where I think this is this is uniquely enjoyable amongst the absurd uh, elements of TNG so far. It's it's a uh, it's absurd, but not not in such an unbelievable way. I mean, there, there's two kinds of absurdity we've dealt with so far, right? There's just the what what the hell is happening kind of absurd. And the uh, this this may not be quite the tone of Star Trek kind of absurd, and I guess this is the latter, really. Yeah, that's true. What's nice about this absurdity is that, um, in in character, I guess it it, it makes sense. Like what we know about Troy's mother and her nature as a Betazoid, um, explains why she's acting this way. Um, and mm -hmm. her ability to be uh, telepath really informs basically all of this and you, you kind of just get it and furthermore yeah. troy is only half a betazoid which explains the gap between those two the only thing that i the only like slight inconsistency that i i feel here is that with troy's mother acting like this how did any human tolerate her enough to to conceive troy with her <laughs> Well, um, if if you watch the original series, uh, she used to be hot, so <laughs> so that explains oh, no. it. 
Yeah. <laughs> judging by judging by her appearance there, um, I guess. But yeah, yeah. Um, well, much much agreed on all points there. It's worth noting why this actress appeared in both the original series and the Next Generation. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm not sure what their status was at the time of the original series, but uh, this actress is actually the the wife of Gene, Gene Roddenberry. Right. 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 And um, it's funny because. Um, I mean, the observational viewer is going to notice this right off the bat, right? Mm. No Worf in this episode. No Wesley in this episode. Anti-W episode. Right, no W's allowed. No W's allowed. Um, anyway, Worf wasn't in it because the writers, they, they weren't really sure what to do with him at this point in the series. Mm. Um, he, was, he was always kind of just, you know, off in the corner, not really doing anything to further the plot. He didn't really have like a, a role on the bridge at this point. No, and all uh, he did was like pull out a phaser every once in a while, only for somebody yeah, to say, "No, Worf, down." Yeah, 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 yeah. He tried to attack someone. He tried to have sex with a hologram. He growl. You know, it, it, it really just not much to do. Um, but Wesley's exclusion there, there's a bit more to that. Mm. Um, <laughs> so, longtime fans of um, of the show uh, th- you know that Wesley's casting was done to curry favor um, with the mother. His mother, the actor's mother, not Wesley's mother, the actor of Wesley. Will Wheaton's mother. Uh, Senora Wheaton's Wheaton. mother. Senora Wheaton, um, whom Gene was dating at the time. Um, so even more hardcore fans are going to know that Troy's mom, obviously, as you just noted, was played by Gene's then wife. And you can imagine how awkward this would have been on set because Gene's polygamy at the time uh, was a bit of a tightly kept secret. Um, and so once his wife was cast, Gene just had the writers expunge any mention of Wesley at all from the script. Just just in case, lest the streams cross. Right, because right. whenever whenever Will Wheaton was on set, his mother would always accompany him because he was, you know, still young at the time. And yeah. if that we did nobody wanted any cat fights on the set, lest least of all Gene. Right, right. Yeah. I mean it it really it, it was it was all to it was to everyone's benefit, really. But uh, I, gee, oh, man, I, I feel for him. I, we, we've all been there. Indeed. But it, at least it worked out for the fans, I think, because there's a lot of people who are like, we don't want Wesley episodes. We don't like Wesley. And, um, we, you know, you got it. yeah, we made the decision. It's like, all right, no Wesley. Um, instead, you can enjoy a nice Troy episode. And <laughs> uh, I'm sure the fans appreciated that. I think they did. I I know I did, so. Um, if, if I had to choose between every episode that Wesley has been in so far and this episode, I would choose this episode hands down, mm, hands down. I got to think about this. I, cause there's gotta be like one, um, what, what, was, <laughs> so what, was, what was the episode that we really, that, or at least that I really liked. Um, that was, that was the one, that was the one where at the end, Picard tries to fuse with the alien. And... Right. Was Wesley in that episode in a prominent way? I don't remember. I don't remember either, but if we don't remember, then probably not. And I think uh, I think he may have had like one little scene on the bridge halfway through or something. Right, like he's just there. Yeah. Right, well, so we, we don't have to count that one. I think I guess what I'm saying is any episode where Wesley resolves the, the conflict at hand. Yeah. Which has been four of them so far. Mm. 
I would roughly because... half. Yeah. Well, yeah. you you can choose between uh, the naked now or the naked wedding, and uh, see which one. You like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's a fun bit. Apparently, the the wedding that is to take place, uh, everyone has to be naked. Right. That's uh, just a beta Z custom. Beta Z custom, which you know, I don't think at this point this will shock anybody, but obviously, naked wedding, Gene's idea, of course. That he had that in the the show's Bible from the very beginning. Once we were outlining Troy's character inside of it, like what was a Betazoid? What were they about it? Threw in this line, and they have naked weddings, and just made sure yeah. that that was in there. But um, I think that that line he threw in there is really what motivated the the switch of casting between uh, Denise and Marina. Um, once we knew that aspect of Troy's character. Uh, the people in charge knew that Denise just wasn't going to cut it. Right. I right. Mean, and I, you know, could you imagine? Yo, I don't even want to, I don't even, I'm already, I'm already kind of sad that that never really came to fruition in this episode. Yeah. Um, because the original script did call for it. Like it, there was going to be that scene. It was only after, you know, so many protests from, you know, Marina herself, of course, uh, right. that we had to uh, just not show it at all. Unfortunately, it's 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 like the um, it's like Chekhov's gun. You don't introduce this this gun in uh, the first act of your show and then never fire it by the end of it. You don't mention a yeah. naked wedding with Marina Sirtis and then not show us anything. No, it's ridiculous. And yeah, that was that was actually going to be one of my points um, in terms of you know like docking points from this episode was exactly that. Um, it's it's just ridiculous. It's uh, really really just just poor craftsmanship can i interest you in in lieu of a naked wedding can i interest you in a uh in a a dinner party <laughs> dinner party because I, I i i might be jumping the gun chronologically but i think this is You're something we, jumping the gun, we we both really want to talk part. about this yeah this is the most important part of the episode um where do we start so we 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 have a pre-wedding dinner party um, in a room on the ship that, by the way, we almost never see again. What what even is this room? I know it's tiny. I, th I think I think it's the dedicated dining room. Huh? Like a cafeteria? Yeah, yeah, I guess. I don't know. Um, but it's it's the dedicated dining room, as far as I know. And there's like maybe a dozen a dozen actors in there. That's this is the pre-wedding party. It's just a dozen people. Right. Um. Before we get really into it, want to note that that Doctor Crusher is looking really good with her hair up. Yeah, I, I wrote that down too. Um, wow, <laughs> put that in my notes. <laughs> so did I. Glad we got our priorities uh, in order here. Honestly, if we could literally just release this episode with that line, that a single sentence, and I'd be satisfied. That's what I took away from this episode. Crusher's yeah. looking really hot with her hair up. I mean, she's always looking pretty good, but this is a market improvement. Yeah. Oh man, just unbelievable. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so this scene's both amazing and terrible at the same time. It exists in its own little vacuum, and it's just so ridiculous. It's like a microcosm of this whole episode. <laughs> so let's count the ways in in which it's just surreal, almost um, precipitating the the mere um, existence of Twin Peaks and the the vibe that that entire show will have. 
this entire dinner is set with the backdrop of a large hulking giant of a man banging a glass gong every like 90 seconds with that produces like such a strange spacey sound and with that's incredibly loud and it, one, it, is, uh, it is vaguely lynchian it isn't is it? because they're all sitting there just trying to ignore it right <laughs> which which is actually very funny like it is it is legitimately a funny scene um i almost wish they just didn't acknowledge it at all right because that's where i thought it was going because yeah. i i obviously like, i don't remember this episode at all but i thought it was going to the point where like they just wouldn't acknowledge it at all and they were just gonna sit there and grimacing at it it would have been perfect if just at the very end when troy leaves the room instead of like knocking the gong over uh the guy just hits it again as soon as she leaves <laughs> <laughs> that would have been so good. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they really almost got they almost got the comedic comedic timing of this down. There, there were two um, two things of it, two parts elements that could have been improved to make it just hilarious. That's one of them. And the other one is just never explaining the meaning of it. Like uh, I think Troy's <laughs> mom says that it's to give thanks for the food, but if she never say anything, it would have been just yes. hilarious. Yeah. And I don't think TNG makes a great um, surrealist comedy, but there was potential here. But I mean, this episode's already pretty surreal, given the context of the whole show. Yeah. It would have been good. It would have been great, really. <laughs> so just while describing the rest of the scene, imagine that that's the backdrop, that throughout all of this, there's this big gong thing happening. So the characters are sitting down eating, and it's like, a table with a few people on each side and on one side you have like the the wedding party um troy's family and wyatt's family and them to themselves and on the other side you just have random seemingly random enterprise crew not everybody <laughs> but just people chosen at random you have like crusher yar Riker, and picard mm -hmm. and standing up not seated at the table is um troy's mother's aide who's banging the gong slowly and Data, who is just, like, poking his head in and around, like, observing everything. And Data, for the second episode in a row, has a very funny line um, in this scene where, at least I, I thought it was pretty funny. At the end of it, yeah. um, Troy snaps at her mom and basically everybody is like, oh, stop this petty bickering. What the fuck is wrong with you? And storms out of the room. And then Data just immediately is like, no, please continue the petty bickering. <laughs> it was it was very good. Data overall, I think, was used extremely well in this episode. I think it was the first time I found him funny um, with everything he said, really. Yeah. He, uh, so the whole conceit of, of the scene is that Data is so interested in human interaction that he's just circling the room, just observing things. Uh, at one point, he uh, he's he's talking to uh, Troy's mom's aide aide there, um, and uh, he's, he's he's like, you know, the the rate at which you imbibe these drinks, are you part human? And and the guy just looks up at the ceiling, and and Data, <laughs> Data looks up with him, and is just like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> um, also, this episode I think marks the first time I actually laughed at one of Data's. Uh, uh, exact time measurement jokes. Yeah, where we're all sitting in that meeting room, and and Picard's like, you know, 
uh, when is the ship going to reach the planet? And and Data goes through his, his typical, like, you know, uh, this many hours, this many minutes, this many seconds, this many milliseconds. And somehow the timing of it was actually funny, maybe because it's not the focus of the actual scene. Right. It's, like, we're not expected to laugh at it. It's just there. It's also, it comes out of nowhere because a lot of the other times this joke is played, it's Data having a conversation with somebody else and you're, like, expecting Data's reply because he's an active participant. In this one, right. Picard just, like, throws the question out to the entire room and Data just instantly cuts in with the the exact time. So it's a little less expected, which, of course, tends to make things funnier. Right, 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 right. Um, so, God, there's just, there's so much, there's so much with this dinner scene. Right, we're still setting it uh, up here, because we haven't even talked about, uh, Lieutenant Yar's hair yet, which, to me, <laughs> is, <laughs> it's worth, worth mentioning, because she has, like, this, I don't know, 1980s punk rock Billy Idol hairstyle, where it's all, yes, like, teased yeah, up, yeah. and, yeah. It's like, why? Do you, what, I don't know. She was trying to look cute for this scene, or for whom? That's the question, isn't it? Because yeah. who could possibly find her attractive? I don't know. And this is just—the hair looks worse than she usually does. She has been like, Crusher stole her hair energy and used it to strengthen her own. Right, um, right. As as one goes up, another goes down, and we have perfect equilibrium as we should. Um. Man, but, like, the reason I bring that up, it's just another thing where you just see it on screen and you're like, huh? What? And all yeah. these things, like, layer on top of each other to, to to create for four minutes what is essentially just another series that you've accidentally flipped the channel to. <laughs> it's funny just because of just how quickly it's glossed over. Right. Um, and I speaking of, speaking of glossing over, let's talk about the... Loxana's pet. Let's talk about Loxana's pet. Which has never been mentioned before or since. It's just yeah. a thing that's there for really no we, we reason. Get, uh, yeah. We, 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 we get like a little scene um, where it appears for like two, like one minute to, to scare Wyatt's mom and then it goes away um, despite being attached to her. Um, so Loxana's pet was, I, I'm sure the audience can imagine, I think it was a particularly ingenious bit of last-minute improvising on the part of our, uh, our prop master. Well, yeah, um, because, because it actually, it's, you, th you, yeah. Would, you would think that a pet would be like an animal. You yeah. would, you would, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, I mean, you, you know why it came to this. Yes. Um, at the time, we were still kind of in the midst of actually hiring for certain roles, I mean, you know, usually there would be a guy on set who would who would be procuring animals as we need them, right? Mm. Um, now, since we had just been using Gene's rare pet collection for any animal that showed up up to this point, um, it really just fell on our fish master, who was, you know, a recent full-time hire um, after, was it last episode or the episode before? I believe it was the one before that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so recent full-time hire, he was tasked with, with getting an animal for this scene, and I, I forget what it was, I think it was some kind of guinea pig or hedgehog that we were just gonna put fake horns on and paint over. Similar to the, the, uh, the pig that we used. Yeah, I like the pig. Um, we were gonna make it a little more colorful, I guess, make it a little more alien. 
little fitting for uh, uh, Luxana, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I mean, we, we had a lot of Krylon left, so like we weren't sure what color we were going to make the box mm. at the time. So we we had a lot of Krylon in stock. So that you know that that was that was the the whole conceit of it. Um, but needless to say, if you've watched the episode, uh, you can tell he completely dropped the ball on this one. And uh, thankfully, the prop master was able to dredge up this old fake vine from uh, one of our previous sets and just wrap it around Barrett's arm to, um, I must say, very convincing effect. Yeah, it looks uh, like a real vine. It looks like a real vine. It acts like a real vine. When when she uh, you know, nudges her arm against Wyatt's mom um, and, and the vine cautiously rubs up against her arm and she freaks out, it's very convincing. Right, and all it took was just, you know, some fishing wire and clever yeah. camera placement. Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. I, I remember the guy was standing up on, like, a little stepladder right way above uh, Barrett's head, you know, with a little string just kind of nudging it up and down. And then just a good reaction from uh, the actress playing Wyatt's mom, and the whole, it was sold. Like, he, he completely oh, believed it. Unbelievable, unbelievable. But it's a, it's a good example of, like, the team production team coming together to you know fix somebody's mistake and uh yeah let me tell you you never wanted that to be you who had your mistake fixed by everybody because you never wanted a production team coming together for you no 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 you would be shamed for really months <laughs> further months of work yeah um, absolutely poor Fishmaster. poor Fishmaster. um is there anything else in the scene that's as that's you know further uh befuddling well i will there say is, that the scene... there is i forgot about this whoa, 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 what? <laughs> the blue plastic forks and knives that they use i did not notice this they're like they look like fisher price toys they're like really thick and really like plasticky looking and they're a sheer bright blue it's they're futuristic well that's the thing it's <laughs> it's is do things just become blue in the future did they rust? <laughs> oh my god! I scrolled down to my notes, and I'm like, I, there was one more thing that I'm forgetting. What was it? And it's like, yep, got to talk about this. Um, I do want to say that this this breaks the 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 Trek Bible rule of no melodrama. You think it's melodramatic? It's melodramatic. I mean, come on. <laughs> The, uh, the the Troy standing up and screaming, I hate you guys! And, and just, just leaving the room, knocking the, the gong over. Okay, maybe a yeah. little melodramatic, especially, um, you know, before we go on to the scene immediately after that, um, because that does further the melodrama. Um, right. We should talk a little bit about the B-plot that gets set up in the midst of all this. Mm -hmm. which involves two alien um, entities. One is a planet that the, the Enterprise is kind of hovering around in orbit of, and the other one is a spaceship that's on route to make contact with that planet. And the idea right. is that this planet is like like a, like a vacation paradise or something. Like It's called Haven. You go there and you feel good. And the myth is that, oh, it's it's such a relaxing place that it can cure illnesses. <coughs> and the other alien entity coming towards it in the spaceship is like, um, 
a species that had been infected by some like biological weapon that they themselves had created and that infection was killing them and every alien species they came in contact with and given the nature of the federation's relationship with these two entities it puts the enterprise in a bit of a bind and how to deal with them yeah which is actually pretty interesting i mean this could have been the a plot it is it is extremely interesting um i when i first heard about this because it you hear the setup for it relatively early in the episode um i was like why are we ruining this relatively interesting premise with all the troy stuff which hadn't (laughs) which hadn't vindicated itself or justified itself in my eyes up to that point um so yeah that's that's a little disappointing that this didn't have more room to breathe because it is pretty cool um you have basically everything you have uh inter species um politics ethical questions on the part of the federation and the enterprise crew and what they do um like you even have uh, a bit of a warning because they make it a very big point to be like oh they had the technology of late 20th century or 21st century earth um 20th century 20th century earth and they used it to make this bioweapon now they're reaping what they sowed um yeah so it's got like it's got everything in it in such a compact little space it really does yeah um i mean god i I guess i didn't think of it at the time but yeah it is really disappointing that it's stuck in this episode right um ultimately i i do enjoy how things end up in this episode but it's one of those times where i wish uh, i could have seen an alternate reality version of this series where this was its own thing and see how well that yeah I mean, well, I mean the, the b plot to destroy episode could have been anything right really well yes and no i think that ultimately these two plots converge in a pretty good way with one exception okay um which we'll get to but um so that's that's set up and as the episode progresses, the aliens in the ship get closer and closer to the planet. Uh, and once they get within range to beam down to the planet and potentially infect people with the infection, um, that's when the Enterprise kind of like traps them in a tractor beam and uh, begins communing with them. Mm-hmm. When, by, by and, uh, you, yeah. what, go ahead. Well, I, you know... Um... I want to note that it's it's a it's a ship run by eight people. Yeah, it's a ship run by eight people who are all like one family, and it's it's a ship the size of the Enterprise, vaguely, uh, that's run by eight people. So it's it's like this one man and all of his wives and daughters and a mix of, <laughs> of the two. The life. Well, that's the thing. It's yeah, like yeah, <laughs> so Torellian the Torellians. That's the name of that species. Um, they were based on on like Mormon culture, where mm-hmm. polygamy and bigger families all sit around like one father figure um, is more of the norm. And, you know, we mentioned Gene's own polygamy before, and this is kind of like that manifesting itself in the show, in the show itself. Right. Um, he wanted this species to, to kind of emulate what he saw as his ideal. Um 
And, you know, Star Trek always has, like, this progressive slant to it. And here, polygamists were kind of his... The, the group that Gene was throwing the bone to. He's like, we want to show these people in a positive light, uh, not the stereotype that Mormons always get. Because uh, the Trellians were chased across the galaxy. They were hunted to extinction because of the infection that they bore. Um, mm. Gene really saw himself in this group as being a persecuted minority. And uh, that explains the really positive image that they have here. Despite the fact that these eight people, this one family, are all, um, you know, kind of breeding together and making an unconventional life. It's interesting that he was able to deliver this message in an episode where his wife, you know, uh, guest starred. Well, that's the thing. It's we he hid his own uh, proclivities from her when uh, with the Wesley thing, with the Will Wheaton thing, by getting him out of there. And with that out of the way, there was no reason to really suspect any of this as being a subtext to begin with, right? right it it right. seems obvious to us because we know a lot of this. But if you don't know about it, then you'll just see like, okay, it's the last Torellians, whatever, they're a family, and move on. Right. Right. Hmm. So God, it really makes you think. It does make you think. But what's, once they start talking with the Torellians, that's when like these two plots finally begin to converge. Um, in that one of the people on the ship is the person who was in Wyatt's drawings. And he describes these drawings of this woman as being somebody he saw like in his dreams every night. And somebody that yeah, yeah. he thought Troy was going to be that woman, and she was not. And yeah, and this, this is introduced pretty early on in the episode right um with his with his weird drawings and uh we we get we get a little scene with him and 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 troy's mom talking about it uh which which again i think was that was a pretty funny scene it was but uh, this is like the one this is the beginning of the one part of the episode that begins to unravel for me um because mm -hmm. troy's mother talks to wyatt about seeing about the one of the Torellians being the person that he saw his whole life and she offers the most inconclusive and unsatisfying explanation for it for oh the, yeah for this all life is connected right and that's it that's why you saw this random yeah. other entity from light years away in your dreams since you were a boy even though presumably both of you were children at the time and thus you like seeing each other i don't know it's just weird and there's never a satisfactory explanation given for it which is no not... it only barely works right that's that's the i like the idea of that there being a thread tying these a plot and b plots together um because that's generally good writing you want these things to be additive to one another but right the way that it is is just confusing and head scratching because it's you never really understand exactly what was going on and in a science fiction show you want to do that it's the whole point yeah yeah i mean you you really have to suspend your disbelief for this one um but like you said i will give it points for actually connecting i mean it's no alien delegation subplot that's true so um thankfully <laughs> these things actually work together in some way yeah, um it all justifies think... itself it, it it does it does justify itself, you know, kind of. Uh, but I I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the the alien herself. I mean the uh, the the, the woman. Yeah. So the, 
the blonde, beautiful, uh, much much more attractive than Troy, a Tyrellian woman. What I love about it is that um, when you see the drawings of her that Wyatt's holding on to, it's like, all right, your fantasy woman is looks like an extra in a in a Motley Crue music video with her teased up hair and nineteen eighties <laughs> looking self. Um, you know that was the style at the time, so it's not nothing I can really ever knock the show for. But it 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 manages to make things very dated in a show that otherwise sidesteps that just by being um, of another world in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess Wyatt himself too kind of has a has a bit of a dated look, but he has a dated look. I mean, uh, uh, coloring on paper is dated in in and of itself, isn't it? This is true. This is true. I it, the worst to me is when you see the drawings that the Torellians have of Wyatt. Um, a because they're not nearly as good drawings as as the ones that Wyatt has, and they look kind of silly. But B because you have just these pencil shaded drawings just kind of hung up on this state-of-the-art spaceship set yeah yeah they they kind of just like revere him <laughs> as like a, a a god somehow yeah they're like we uh, knew you would Christ be here we knew you would come to us to save us from this infection because right. why it's a doctor um and it it brings in the question what exactly are these visions that they've been seeing of each other because Wyatt has this vision of like I'm gonna marry this woman and that's it whereas all of these Torellians have these visions of Wyatt where they're like oh he's going to save our race of people um, yeah yeah and he's like I didn't sign up for this I just wanted to get laid you know like <laughs> well no he did he did explicitly like no he's, he's, he's very cool it. with this idea yeah. He, yeah. he loves the idea I mean, you got you got the uh, the the Haven chick um, freaking out because because the Torellians want to live on Haven. Yeah, um, they because the the thought is that if they ever reach the planet, inevitably the their disease will spread, and no. the, the planet will get wiped out. Which the crew mentions is something that has happened before. So it's not yeah, it's not ill founded that concern. Yeah. Um. And the Torellians, they're not hostile. They're like, we just want to live on some coast somewhere far away from civilization. Um. But they they end up acquiescing to to Haven's defensive concerns uh, once they have Wyatt. And right, oh, it was it was all a ploy, really. Yeah, I don't. They just, they knew they would find him there somehow. Like, this is where you can't really discuss the plot anymore because there's no details, right? You can only speculate on why characters do these things. Mm -hmm. But what... I feel like we're just kind of hurtling through the episode now. Talk about dinner for twenty minutes an hour, and everything else just gets thrown in. Well, I mean, there's not really much much else to it, is there? No. Well, there is one scene where, um, and you were getting at this earlier in regards to melodrama before uh, I brought in the B plot, but um, after the dinner scene, when Troy storms out, she goes to a holodeck oh, and yeah. finds Riker there, and they have a talk about. This was also kind of strange. Um, 
the way that they characterize human love as being like small minded or or um not having enough room for different kinds of love yeah where it just it's like something that's true but it just came down as like came came across as uh troy talking down to Riker about yeah, and it doesn't really make any sense either and i i did want to touch on this because Throughout the series, Troy's and Riker's relationship is just bizarre. Where, you know, one moment they're all over each other, and the next they're kind of just passive aggressively looking at each other when the other one's, you know, getting it in. Yeah. Um, and uh, I thought, you know, for the longest time that this was just like a Trek thing. You know, I thought this was like a, a post-scarcity society type thing where there's free love or whatever. Right. Um but, I mean, when you think about it, no. I mean, like, all these characters show up with their wives or husbands or whatever. I mean, there's clearly pair bonding in this universe. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the the fact that they're so into each other and it just, it like, it, their relationship seems to constantly get retconned through every episode they're in. Even though the, the, uh, the prevailing, uh, they're both into each other thing seems to be retained. They act differently toward each other depending on who the hell is writing the episode. Yeah, it's there's no consistency to it, and it's that would be fine. But the di- the dialogue in this episode specifically um, just raises eyebrows on the nature of their relationship. Because yeah. why are they, um, if they've already had a relationship before, that implies that they get along, right? Um, I mm. think it was because of Riker's career that they ended their relationship, and they bring that up here too. Um, so why is there all this talk about like human love capabilities? Like it's that's it, it seems tangential to what their issue is. Well, I mean, I've always interpreted it as like Riker was still banging her. I didn't interpret it that way. I think I think he is. I think he is. I think he is. Hmm. I mean, come on. He absolutely is. He's banging something. Yeah, I mean, he's always banging something, but he 100% is still banging Troy. He has to be. I don't know. There's no way. They're, they're, they're on the same ship all the time. They're both senior crew members. Come on. He absolutely is. And, uh, yeah, I mean, still, your point still stands, though. I mean, she's like she's there talking down to him like he's a child. Right. And then, and then Wyatt comes in acting like a total cunt. Oh, I love Wyatt in this scene. This is what this is. This is the moment where I'm like, oh, I'm sold on this Wyatt guy, because um, he just like completely owns the situation, and he's like, oh yeah, Riker, um, Troy mentioned that you guys broke up because you wanted to be a captain, and he's like, yeah, and Riker's like, and Wyatt's like, yeah, good luck with that. Anyway, Troy yeah, yeah, get married. He has, he has some Chad energy there for sure. Yeah. Um. But I I still think party wants to wants to root for Riker here, honestly. I part of me did. I didn't want to root for Riker. Um, I think you're a sociopath, Mitch. <laughs> because I like what is what is there to Riker that makes him likable, likable? Uh, whoa, whoa, careful, careful. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I don't. Like this isn't an O'Brien Life episode, so it's okay. <laughs> um, oh god, 
that the what was I saying? Um, Riker is yes a generally likable character. He's uh, he's neutral at worst, but he's also not over. Um, he's not strongly charismatic to me. Like like I said, he was kind of superseded in charisma by Wyatt in this scene. So yeah, like, I think I think um, I think Riker does get there in terms of that charisma, that characterization, but he's definitely not there yet. I will agree with that. He needs to put on some weight, and then I'll then I'll be the big lovable Riker we have in season three or four. Grow a beard, add about twenty thirty pounds, and yeah, there you go. Well, part of what makes the Riker episode so enjoyable is the Riker we get when he's like just screaming and panicking. Not not him being like this cool collected guy. Like when when he's sitting there playing trombone and showing off, it's like, yeah, whatever. And then he's like strapped to a hospital bed somewhere screaming and like, yeah, yeah, Riker, go. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's kind of true. Basically every every one of the top TNG episodes is just Riker uh having a mental breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> his character is served very well by those kinds of episodes for sure oh yeah oh yeah so um, all this is yeah. to say that i was not particularly pulling for him in this uh you you stack. really love what you're saying you love why what Wyatt. you're saying is, is you would get drawn in by a guy like this and get brutally murdered if it happened in real life if he was in fact a, 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 a psychopath killer which he is. Which which he is. Which, are, are you sure you're not colored by his appearance in Twin Peaks, where that kind of thing is more common? Uh, I'm not colored at all. What are you talking about? <laughs> Sorry. No, I mean, he was he was uh, he was uh, a reasonable guy in Twin Peaks. I think. Okay. Okay. Well, I yeah, I guess I am just the perfect serial killer target. Yeah, um, you really are. Saved by the fact that there's not a lot of serial killers whose MO is uh like old men. So <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> uh, I feel I feel content and safe. Um so Wyatt You never know. <laughs> <laughs> is that a threat? <laughs> <laughs> Wyatt has a has actually an arc. Um which is astounding for a one-off random character, but he he comes in, he's um, dubious about this thing with Troy when she doesn't look like his visions, but they reaffirm their commitment to whatever reasoning is bringing them together. Um, and he tries his best to make that work, and then he's introduced to these Torellians, who is the person from his dream, and they have this big problem that he's one of the only people equipped to, to help it out, to help them out with it, uh, and even establish his um, prowess with uh, like viruses and such at the dinner party scene, the great dinner party scene, and then he throws away the tradition that he had been trying to commit himself to, um, in favor of um, what he perceives as destiny, and that is a much more. It's not super deep, but it's a, lo- a much more. It has much more nuance than most one-off characters ever really get in TNG, especially at the beginning. <coughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think you're like the first one-off character that actually has a, a decent arc. Much more of an arc than Troy's mother. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, who stays very static and continues to be static for pretty much the entire time. Yeah, the whole series. But, um, you know, she's a catalyst. Like like we were yes. talking about earlier, she's a catalyst. She's not really much of a character, per se, right? True. Just a force of nature. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, overall... Um, well, we said we were both pretty positive this episode. I, I, I keep that impression after our discussion. Um, yeah. It's... The fact that the A and B plots tied together, um, that Troy's mom was as enjoyable as she was, and the situations she created, and that all of the strange elements of this episode seemed to work in its favor, created a pretty enjoyable time. Yeah. Yeah, um, I would definitely, I guess it, it wouldn't be the first episode I'd recommend to, to a new watcher, that's for sure, just because of how um, tonally dissonant it is from the rest of the, the series, but mm. I would absolutely recommend it as a, as a season one episode if you're watching through season one and trying to, you know, only hit the good ones. Um, it's, it's just, it's, it's the perfect blend of just ridiculous and also fairly competent. Mm. I agree. And I think about it not being like the f one of the first episodes somebody watches, part of it is because of how much it works when you know who the characters are and how they're acting right. once right. Um, Troy's mother's around them. Was Jordy in this episode? Barely. He was on the bridge and that's about it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I know. I know. Uh, an episode without Georgie. Georgie? Jordy. <laughs> <laughs> well there goes my point how about we uh we go to trivia i'm down for some trivia all right all right another little short question for you this week mitch i'm in so today we're going to be talking about a uh tng novel mm -hmm. called the battle of beta Z. and uh don't go to google just yet i'm i'm, I'm holding back um, it's set pretty, pretty soon before, uh, say insurrection. Okay. Um, so Star Trek, the, the next generation, the battle of beta said, beta Z, beta Z, mm. um, features, uh, which character on the cover, um, in a military uniform holding a giant assault rifle. Okay. There's a lot of ways this can go. But before I answer, I have to ask, what is the difference between Beta Z and Beta Zoid? Is, is Zed the planet? A Beta Zoid is someone from Beta Z. Okay, okay. And I can see why you would be confused because there was a mix-off a few episodes before mm. where Troy said she is a Beta Z. Right. Um, which doesn't make any sense. So, yes. A Beta Zoid is from Beta Z. Well, with that established, I want to run you through my theories on what the answer could be. Okay. Um, obviously... Uh, Troy's mother is uh, is up there because that's wonderfully ridiculous. Um, plus the gene connection. Next, mm -hmm. um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for a long shot and say Q might be Q mm -hmm. because I just mm -hmm. obviously the there's many opportunities to get a shot of John Delancey wearing some kind of military uniform and holding an assault rifle. He's in everything, really. So yes, there's a lot of Q novels, that's for sure. But the thing is, they all have Q in the title. I think. So mm, do they? I'm right. not sure. They might. Um, other theories: Riker, 
given his connection to Troy. And I don't think it would be Troy. I don't think Troy would be the central figure of a novel, nor do I think that she would be um, portrayed as doing any kind of fighting. And mm. I, I think that that will be... That's going to be the, be the pool that I guess from. And within that pool, I will... I'll answer Troy's mother. Okay. Final answer. Final answer. Troy's mom. Well, it's a very good guess, but no, it is Troy herself. Really? On the cover. No way. An assault. Yeah. Uh, and feel free to look this one up because I'll do it's that absolutely right now. <laughs> Navigate to Google. The Battle of Beta Zed? The Battle of Beta Zed. Images. Uh, it, it's really comical. This is unreal. <laughs> What, I'm not sure what a what a what a psychiatrist, what business a psychiatrist has wielding uh, a deadly weapon, but you know, here you go. So, what is the thought process here? Like, someone is in the bookstore and they see this, and you're like, "Man, I really want to see Troy kicking ass," so I'm going to buy this book. Right, right. Well, you can't deny that there's something about it that is uh, morbidly interesting. You look at this cover and you're like, how did we get to this point? You want to know how we get to this point, don't you? I do. It, it says an untold tale of the Dominion War. And I don't even know what that right. is. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a DS9 thing. Okay. Uh, so this is like post-series Troy. Yes. Yes. Right. This is, this is before Insurrection. So. Um, like the- right before. Who is the battle of Betazoid, Beta Z between the Betazoids and whom? Uh, the the Betazoids and Dominion. Oh, the Dominion. So Dominion is just a normal noun. I didn't know there was the name of a race. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's the name. It's the, it's the name of a race. That's so or, dumb. It's it's like calling your a, race it's, conquest. It's, it's it's a state. It's a state. It's like it's a. That's still dumb. It is dumb. Imagine, so. imagine if there was just like a, a a Middle Eastern country by the name of War. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine that. Actually, I, I don't know. I don't know if you thought that would be a reach, but <laughs> well, I, I I'm throwing down the gauntlet that one day I'm gonna get one of these trivia questions correct. I firmly believe you will. I mean, you at least mentioned Troy, which. Yeah, but I mentioned uh, Troy as the one I was not going to guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very funny that you thought it was her mother and not her. Well, like, like her mother had more of a chance than she did. I still don't regret that. Knowing the result, I don't regret that, that logic, that reasoning. Um, because I think that if you were to run our reality like a hundred times, maybe like 75 of those hundred times... Troy's mother is on the cover of this book. You're talking a lot about alternate universes this episode. Am I? Am I? <laughs> you are. The alternate universe where the A plot was the, or the B plot was the main plot. Oh yeah, I did the say that. Where, where Troy's mother was on the cover of Battle of Beta Z. Look, I'm like Worf in that one episode. My mind is just jumping between timelines. <laughs> And in every timeline, I'm here doing this podcast. It's one of the constants in uh, in the multiverse. Well, thank God for that, Mitch. Thank God for that. Well, thank God for this episode of The Readier Room, which is now over. 
Join us next time on The Readier Room, where we will watch the next episode of Star Trek. And until then, everybody, stay ready. The Troublesome Little Man Child. that in the history of many worlds there have always been disposable creatures. Do you consider yourself superior to us? Should have told him to mind his own damn business. But I stroke the beard thusly. Computer! Freeze program. It's not a promising beginning, 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 beginning.